Hello, my name is Mike Diedrich. I'm uh, with uh, Vice President of Chapter 92 in Seattle. With me is Michael McPherson, also a member of Chapter 92. And we're both presenting the VFP 92 radio show, which is held on, excuse me, heard on KODX 96.9 and also streamed and archived on VFP92.org, which is a veterans piece chapter. Um, this um, this session, we're going to be talking about police accountability, and our guest is Sonia Joseph. Joseph, yeah. So um, her son, her son Giovanni Joseph McDade, um, was killed by Kent Police in uh, 2017. Uh, we thought it would be a, a good um, topic to talk about uh, for two reasons. One, we talked a little bit with her about the police. Uh, that participated in the insurrection in um, Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Just get some of her thoughts on that. Also, um, recently, the legislative session of, of the uh, state of Washington ended, and there were a lot of bills that passed um, for police accountability, uh, police reform. Um, Washington actually has done a lot more than most states, if not all states, in, in, in that, on that issue. And then um, George, George Floyd's death uh, almost a year ago, um, actually a year ago, when you hear this, um, it will be a year. Um, those all those reasons we thought would be good to talk about um, police accountability. Okay, as part of our uh, introduction, we uh, traditionally read this veterans for peace statement of purpose and that goes as we having dutifully served our nation do hereby affirm our greater responsibility to serve the cause of world peace. To this end, we will work with others towards increasing public awareness of the costs of war, to restrain our government from intervening overtly and covertly in the internal affairs of other nations, to end the arms race and to reduce and eventually eliminate nuclear weapons, to seek justice for veterans and victims of war, and to abolish war as an instrument of national policy. To achieve these goals, members of Veterans for Peace pledge to use nonviolent means and to maintain an organization that is both democratic and open with the understanding that all members are trusted to act in the best interest of the group for the larger purpose of world peace. We urge all people who share this vision to join us. And before we get to the interview, I just want to say to people, yes, we are Veterans for Peace and our mission is to abolish war if you want to look at it as an overall kind of mission, because you just heard our, our statement of purpose. And some people wonder, well, what does working for peace or end the war have to do with police violence in the United States? And at least from my perspective, and I'm sure that uh, Mike agrees, that you really can't work for peace abroad if you're not also searching and working for peace at home. They, they, they co go hand in hand. It's not one or the other. And in fact, um, you can look, I think you can look at a nation's domestic policies when it comes to how it treats its citizens, especially when it comes to violence and use of force. Um, look at that and you can know what kind of foreign policy it has. Uh, so they're, they're, they're just inextricably connected. And so we do pay attention to both. Well, yeah, the, the accountability in this case of police is, is no different from the accountability that we have as uh, military or former military people, you know, United States military has to be held accountable. Uh, it, it often is not. Uh, 
That's right. Uh, and uh, certainly, as Michael said, it's very important locally uh, and the civilians that we hold our police accountable. accountable. Yeah. It's critical. So we're going to go ahead and, and get to the interview. And uh, we appreciate you listening. And um, I think you'll find it informative. Um, and then next, next month, um, we'll have another great show for you. Joseph. Um, we're going to talk about police accountability here in the state of Washington. Uh, uh, Sonia, um, I, know, I believe you've been working on police accountability since your son was killed by uh, Kent Police in uh, 2017. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, before we get really into what's happening now with the accountability effort, because there has been some uh, legislation passed uh, at the state level, and I know you've been um, deeply involved in that, and I've testified on on two hearings. Can you tell us a little bit about about your story, what happened with your son, if you don't mind? Um, well, my son, um was 20 years old and uh, he never came home on a Friday night. I got a call Saturday um, from my in-laws that something happened to him. And, uh, you know, when, when I found out the full effect of what happened to him, it was devastating because you know, he was, he was killed by law enforcement. Um, but I was more alarmed by the fact that they, that the narrative that was put out and, and I just didn't believe what was being said. And then it really hit me that my son is never coming back. And this is, I just, it, you just don't know what to do. And uh, I was just devastating. And then, uh, you know, I questioned everything from, from day one. And, um, you know, over, over the past three years, almost four years next month, I've uh, worked very hard at trying to get answers uh, into what happened to my son. Um, and every avenue that I went, um, I was, you know, my son was failed by the system and then he was failed again by every other system after his death. Um, the inquest failed him and we reformed that 
um, which is still pending. Currently, his inquest was the last inquest in King County, um, December 11th, 2017. And, uh, you know, I reached out to an organization called Not This Time and they really helped me navigate through some of the systems because I had no idea what I was doing. I was trying to grieve and, and then at the same time get answers. And uh, really, I was just given the runaround and no one, uh, you know, gave me any answers. Um, and with not this time, we, they were working on initiative 940 at that time. And we just continued to work on police reform after uh, Initiative 940 passed. And now uh, here in Washington State, uh, we just passed 12 bills that are monumental. Right. So, so um, 940, you know, my um, son. I was just saying 940 passed and uh, mm -hmm. just so people know, passed in the, I guess, December of 2018, right? I think. Yes, in 2018. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and that changed the language of uh, malice in the law because it was hard to prove malice because um, mm. you don't know what an officer is thinking or feeling. And most of the time, officers say, I fear it for my life. Uh, but they changed the language to uh, what a reasonable officer in that circumstance would do. Um, <clears throat> and, and that went into law and we implemented, but it, it still wasn't enough because um, since 940 passed in 2018 and 2019, we, they started implementation. Um, oh, 105 people have been killed in Washington state since then. Um, now, with all of the uprise of what is happening in, in, across the nation um, when it comes to police use of violence against uh, black and brown um, folks, you know, it, it wasn't enough. We needed to refine it and, and create uh, some new laws that um, would change the policing culture. And, uh, you know, we worked together with many representatives, um, senators, the community, and uh, created this robust package uh, which addressed accountability at every level, from the use of deadly force all the way to um, different measures of accountability that we currently don't have now or prior to these 12 bills being passed and signed. Right. So um, before we talk about that a little bit, I, I was reading about your uh, son's uh, death and the shooting and how, um, as you said, uh, there's been no accountability really for it um, in terms of the police anyway, and how yes. a a judge 
because it seems as if the, the, the police department wanted to kind of like say it was all lawful. Um, but there was a judge that pointed out that the, uh, what, what the police were saying, what they said happened, and then what various evidence says actually happened contradict each other, not even a little bit, but there's extreme contradictions, like the idea that your son sped off um, that's what the police officer said, but then there's evidence that showed that he only, when he left the police officer, he was only going 10 miles an hour. And then when he turned into this cul-de-sac where they shot him, they act like he was speeding, but he was act his car was only going nine miles per hour. I mean, there was just so the angle of the bullet showed that the police officer wasn't in front of the car when he sh shot into the car. There's just so many things that, um, I, I'm just kind of amazed that at that there isn't any accountability. I have to say. Yes, um, you know when a traffic stop turns into the use of deadly force in under three minutes, yeah. um, it's kind of alarming that it was escalated, and, and the officers used multiple uses of deadly force when it, it wasn't necessary, and then to. Uh, have the forensic evidence yeah. uh, show us uh, what happened based on science. Um, it's alarming to know that that officers um, do uh, act above the law and uh, in this case lie. Yes. Yes. And um, I don't know how, what to say about, I, I, I think the, it was Kent, right? The, the Kent. Yes, it was the city of Kent. Yes. And, um, uh, you know, people say, uh, I continue to hear people say, well, he ran. Um, he did comply to a traffic stop and then later ran. Mm -hmm. um, but running away doesn't warrant a death sentence when there isn't, um, right. you know, a class A, class B felony being committed. Right. Right. It's not the, the police aren't supposed to punish you. That's, that's the thing. And I have to say, you know, looking at the situations on a number of recent police shootings, um, it's clear that the police were punishing the person for, as you might say, running or not complying um, immediately. Uh, that's, that's, that's what I'm seeing seems to be uh, the biggest thing. So also to kind of close out a little bit um, of what is happening, what happened with your son in this situation, um, you sued Kent um, yeah, we went to civil litigation and um, uh, we went into a mediation and I settled with the city of Kent um, last month, Yes. Uh, April 9th, and uh, we sued for, well, we settled at $4.4 million and a memorial bench uh, with his name on it at the site of where he was killed. Yes. Um, well, 
your son was a very handsome young man. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, just looking at him is just, it's heartbreaking. And I want to say to people um, that the United States government and, you know, Veterans for Peace, um, our mission is to abolish war, work for peace. So we pay attention to um, what happens here and abroad, of course, abroad. And the United States military, similarly in Iraq and Afghanistan, when a family member is killed by uh, soldiers, they settle sometimes with families and they pay them. Yeah. And it, and it just, this reminded me of that. And I know that there is no amount of money um, that can make the difference. And you can never be whole again. Yeah. I know, yeah. Um, and, and while we try to punish the, the city or whatever to the extent that we can um, for accountability's sake, I know that this, um, this settlement is, does not really do much for you as a mother. Um, no, because city takes responsibility as far as settling to resolve the issue. Yeah. But um, the officers don't, there's no accountability for on the officer's part. Right. Because... Um, you know, if they if they didn't have the badge and they did this, then it would be manslaughter, mm -hmm. murder too, mm -hmm. and uh, second degree murder. But um, with Washington state laws, it's it's there's never been an officer um, convicted and uh, for murder and, and um, charged and served uh, jail time. Mm. So, uh, you know, the laws are, are designed in a way where um, it protects the officers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking about, I, I'm a, a combat Vietnam veteran and, and uh, Michael was in a war zone himself too. But he, it seems like some of the protocols for civilian police are actually more less restrained than actually combat protocols for how, when, and how you can fire on on people. It's mm -hmm. really remarkable. I mean, you you're not allowed to fire at somebody who's running away from you. You know, yeah. you know. Um, I, I and I think that the the one of the issues, of course, you know, the police the police can't be held accountable until. Um, they know what the law is. And I think these new Washington state laws are actually a big step in that direction and police training and account. So they know what they can do and what they can't do. So there aren't any excuses. You can't shoot into moving vehicles. That's, that's, uh, that's basically reckless shooting a firearm in the city, you know, a high, high caliber, uh, large caliber firearm in a city in a, in a residential area is is not safe. It's not just safe for who you're shooting at. Uh, I mean, well, then the officer also uh, used a pit maneuver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in the cul-de-sac, which, uh, well, according to the policies, um, you know, uh, was the actions were outside of the policy, but you know they claim it was within policies and. That's how we came to this settlement agreement. Mm. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's sort of that's sort of cowboy uh, behavior, for lack of a better word. And high-speed chases in a residential area is not. I mean, you would assume that the police have a description of the car, not a license plate. But that person who is fleeing from it is not going to get away. And chasing him through a residential or urban area at 60 or 70 miles an hour is is reckless behavior on the part of the police. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, during that time, based on the CAD of the officers, they were going 35 or <laughs> ranges of 20 and 35. And uh, so it, it wasn't even considered a high speed uh, chase. Right. That's what I'm saying when I read that. I was like, yeah, well, what is a CAD? Can you tell the listeners what? Um, so the CAD is um, it's a computerized system um, in an officer's vehicle, which records um, the speed of the vehicle that the officer is going. Um, it's also a computer system that can, you know, check um, driving, you know, license plates and, and mm. things like that. So. Okay. Um, even though the officer may say it was 60 miles an hour, but there's a recording of the actual speed throughout the whole time right. from, uh, the, from the time that um, the stop happened and then to the end of the pursuit. Right. And so the, those um, limits were completely different on the CAD because that is science-based right. versus, um, well, for an officer to guesstimate. Right. Right. And I really want listeners to hear that, that if, if you go and read articles, and I, I just ask people if you're interested, um, you can um, Google Giovanni Joseph McDade's name. Yes, um, you know, I forgot right. to mention his name earlier, and I, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, though, no. um, and um, you can Google his name and, and his mother's name. It's here now, uh, and there's plenty of articles, and if you read them in, um, in um, date order, you can got, kind of get a narrative of, as you said earlier, the 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 initial narrative and how things developed. And you can see that initially they were putting out stuff like that 60 miles per hour. Terrible false information. And the narrative changed, I would say about three, four different times. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, you know, it's frustrating because it's, it's not the truth. Right. Uh, a, a false narrative that is being pushed to poison the community and um, to hold officers in this um, light of uh, he- being a hero and, and not being the villain. That's right. That's right. And so when I read about the CAD and this cop saying he was going 60 and all that, but the computer said, 30 and like nine. And I was like, oh my goodness. And then the angle of the bullet in the car. And so anyway, please people just, you see for yourself, 
You don't have to believe anything we say. You can just go ahead. It's, it's yeah. public record um, and it's very clear. Yeah. Well, you know, and the officer claims that the car was coming towards him to run mm -hmm. him over when it when actually he walked towards the vehicle while it was dry, trying to drive past him. Mm -hmm. And uh, the angles of the ballistics, um, you know, we hired uh, forensic experts and we hired um, accident reconstructionists and, um, you know, and, and they're uh, renowned experts, you know, across this the nation. Yeah. And, um, those are, you know, facts based on science. Right. And there are three, three or four witnesses that um, collaborate with the reconstruction, you know. So there's all kinds of evidence uh, that these that this police officer or that the way the situation went down should not have gone down the way that it did. Um, and they should be held accountable, but they aren't. Uh, so if people wonder why people are angry, why there's continues to be protests, um, you know, all you got to do is pay attention and read how people are getting away basically with murder. Um, and then you'll understand why people continue to be angry. And, and I'll just say we're tired because I know I am. I've been working on these types of issues. I've just been fortunate not to have it directly um, impact my family. Um, but the first time I've been in the street over police violence was in 1996 or 1997. So that's how long I've been protesting around these issues. And I have to say, nothing has changed in all that time. Um, so hopefully now, and my wife, Deborah Jacobs, who works on these issues too, um, feels like that um, Washington State, the state of Washington has the opportunity um, with these laws uh, to to lead the country in police reform. So why don't you tell us a little bit about about what the legislation is that that has passed and what um, your expectations are? Well, um, <clears throat> so there's 12 bills that passed, but four were our uh, priority bills, and uh, so we start with independent investigations. Um, you know, in most of the cases, um, there was some conflict of um, officers investigating each other, uh, conflicts of not uh, being credible uh, investigations, particularly in the case of uh, Manuel Ellis, when um, the, the community urged for a second um, investigation. And when they did the second investigation, there were um, a, a lot of discrepancies with the first one and then the second one, which was completely independent. And so that bill passed, that was important because in most cases, uh, it, we just don't think that it was, that the investigation is was credible. Um, and so that passed and with, with uh, the independent investigation, what's going to happen is that um, all the cases post uh, initiative 940, which are the 105 cases, 
there might be more. I, I haven't paid attention in the last few weeks because I've been so busy with the session. Um, but those cases will be reinvestigated under this new office that will be set up. Um, and then in any case, um, pre-940, um, they'll start to open some of the older cases, um, but it won't be until uh, 2023. So that was really important um, for families uh, to have, you know, uh, transparency and uh, accountability and um, confidence in the investigation. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, the next bill was um, 5051 which is um, basically it, they work on um, oversight and accountability. And um, it, it checks, it does the certification where, uh, you know, every, every professional has, a doctor has to get a license. Um, an attorney has to pass the board. Um, most professionals hold a, a Washington State license. Um, now, if there's some misconduct, you can lose your license. Um, and so they've created it, uh, a, a bill that requires um, if there's misconduct, if there is ways to decertify officers. Um, now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't, it, it means that they might not continue to be out on the streets, but they will still be able to have a job um, at a desk within the department, just not in contact uh, with the types of misconduct that they're having. Um, and then, so there's the duty to intervene. Um, that's that's another bill. Uh, if an officer is um, conducting a behavior that um, is unlawful um, or there's misconduct, um, they have the duty to intervene where uh, they too will be held accountable. And then um, House Bill 1054, which um, is a pretty big bill. Um, it addresses the no-knock warrants, um, banning um, chokeholds, um, restricting shooting at moving vehicles, restricting uh, hot pursuits. Um, and mainly for, I, I really, focused on this bill because um, in Washington state, we had a law that was outdated about 19 years and it was um, the no chase policy. So the state had recognized that doing hot pursuits, um, it is risky and dangerous. And there were a lot of uh, major cities um, Seattle, Tacoma, Everett, Spokane, who banned uh, hot pursuits in 
it wasn't uh, mandatory for different jurisdictions and departments to ban it, but it was uh, a choice within that department. Um, so we basically updated um, the bill and um, revised it so that um, it's pretty much there that it goes across the state and um, it has a set standard. And then um, what else? Let's see, are other priority bills? There were so many. <laughs> uh, 1310, and so that's um, basically the duty of care um, and, and, and uh, the responsibility of de-escalation and um, the duty of care as far as what a reasonable officer would do in that circumstance. And, and did the officer use um, every resource to de-escalate the situation? And uh, deadly, the use of deadly force has to be the last resort. Right. Yeah. yeah. So those were the four bills that um, the coalition and impacted families really focused on. Um, and there were two bills that did not pass. Mm. Uh, um, House Bill 1202, which was, I'm sorry about that. That's all right was um, for qualified immunity as far as uh, being able, so when families try to get accountability when it comes to officer-involved shootings, um, they have to go to a federal Supreme Court. Uh, and this bill would allow fam if it was passed, it would have allowed families to just go through uh, the state court, Washington state and not have to go to the Supreme Court, uh, but it did not pass. And so uh, families still have to go to Supreme Court. In, in my case, um, the Supreme Court judge uh, allowed for my case to continue because she's found some conflict and uh, thought that it should continue onto trial. Now, not all cases uh, pass that stage. And so there are families that um, do, do not ever settle or ever go to trial because they didn't pass the Supreme Court. And so it makes it very difficult to um, get any civil uh, liability. And that bill will be working on in the next upcoming session, 20 one uh, 2022 and then the next bill 1507 um, it didn't pass and that bill is the special um, independent prosecutor because the local prosecutors um, each each jurisdiction has its own prosecutor each county has their own prosecutors and uh Based on the stats, um, we don't feel that they are doing uh, the community justice 
because there haven't been uh, officers charged with uh, misconduct or uh, excessive use of force or uh, manslaughter and um, or second degree murder. And because these local prosecutors uh, basically work with um, the county and, and the law enforcement, um, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, it's, it's a bias. And so this special prosecutor um, would be its own entity and not uh, in close ties with um, their local police departments. It needs to be independent as well. Uh, it, that did not pass uh, the 2021 session, so we will be presenting that in the 2022 session. But on uh, the, the bills, the five bills that, um, well, there were six, so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so the five, the, the two bills that didn't pass, um, it, it mainly covers um, qualified immunity and then special prosecutor, which is very important to families because those are the two ways to get justice. It's through civil liability to sue. And then um, the special prosecutor in order to get um, the criminal liability. And so currently um, we did pass a lot of bills and, and, and we're hoping that once it's all implemented that, um, you know, we won't have as much um, misconduct or continual um, use of force. Um, but, you know, we, we just don't know yet because we still have to implement and see. Um, that's the hard part, <laughs> the implementation. Right, right. And I suspect, you know, it's the hard part and it takes time. Um, so it'd probably be several years to see if uh, these reform measures actually change behavior. Okay. The, uh, does this, do these bills, uh, well, for one thing, doesn't, doesn't Seattle have a police accountability board, uh, some, uh, something that was passed some time ago that, that functions in some sort of, and the other thing is, do these laws, these new bills deal with the, uh, the uh, intransigence of police unions? Yes, um, so they did create Olio a few years ago. Uh, that there's, it's still hard to do oversight. Um, and uh, you know, Michael, if you want to explain a little bit about Olio, uh, well, <laughs> very little. Um, so, um, Olio is the King County um, civilian oversight, which is part of the county itself. So it's like an inside accountability, but it's not the police, um, but it's still government accountability. Um, and King County has his own um, accountability body. Um, I think it's Police Office of Accountability or something like that. I was just even reading about it. Uh, so it's two there are two separate things, the county and the city. Uh, so yeah, they do exist. Um, and uh, I do know that it's difficult for a person who actually works for the city government um, 
to participate in real accountability, especially since uh, many times those offices' hands are tied in one way or another. Um, and even though the voters had given Olio, uh, which, what does it even stand for? I can't even remember what it stands for. I'll look it up in a second. Um, although they gave them certain powers, uh, some of those powers still needed to be negotiated with the police union. You know, so after Olio uh, was given the powers by the, by, by, through voters, it really couldn't be implemented until um, that those negotiations were done. And I don't even know, I think they're still negotiating that um, with them. And it's been years. It's been years that yes. that they've been trying to negotiate negotiate these yeah these powers that they that I feel like they should have because the voters said you should have them. Um, so that that's is what I would say about you know government accountability of itself. The, I think it's called the Office of Enforce Law Enforcement Oversight. Yeah. Okay. I call it Olio. Yeah. Um, and as far as uh, the unions, so when we created these bills, we worked with many of the unions so that there wasn't a conflict. There were many attorneys involved in uh, trying to hash out, you know, uh, okay. because this is a, this is a union job. Um, but how will these new laws affect on the job? And so uh, there were many attorneys and many uh, lobbyists and many a union uh, support staff that uh, worked on these bills with us in, in order to make it so that it's not violating their rights as an employee. Right. You know, I, one of the bills that passed, but had a certain number of, of um, people vote against it, um, I think maybe six people, I'm not sure, um, was the one where it called for I'm trying to remember how you put it, but um, for a person to intervene when they see that another police officer is doing something they shouldn't be doing. And I, I, I just feel like that is an illustration of a cultural problem within the police department that we have to have people put into law and pass. And then we have some people who are against that if you see another officer committing a crime or doing something they shouldn't be doing, that you should intervene and stop them. Like that should just be as a professional person, as a person that you know that you have the public trust, that's just something that you should do. I, I, sh I shouldn't need someone to tell me, except for part of my um, training as a professional, you know, that's what I sh should do. But apparently that's needed. Um, and, and fortunately it passed, but I find that to be sad. And another thing I find to be sad is, but I know that we needed to do it because police officers weren't doing it, is that you have to pass a law that says if, if a person is in distress, a person is hurt, that you need to attend to them. Wow, who would ever thought that, you know? But these, these are the things that as, as the public, as a person who wants to make sure I'm safe, my family is safe, you're safe, I had to force the police. We have to force the police to do those things. That's ridiculous. And then um, another thing that I found just crazy um, is when I was, and I can't remember which bill it was, but that I um, uh, testified on. Um, tear gas? The tear gas, but some of the, some of the weapons that um, the police could have, you know, like 
bayonets. Well, you don't need a bayonet. I mean, we're not fighting a war. You're not going to be using the hand-to-hand combat with, um, you might, I'm not saying not might not get in a tussle with someone, but you're not doing, attacking anybody. That's, that's basically what I'm saying. Or like 50 cows. You don't need a 50 cow. What do you need a 50 cow for in, in Seattle? So we had to pass a law that says that the police can't have a 50 caliber, 50 caliber machine gun which can go through concrete, which, you know, if you shoot that round, it can go through several walls and kill people that had nothing to do with what's going on. I mean, it's just absurd. So I just want people to to think about the kind of laws that we have to pass in order to get police, not just to hold them accountable, but for them to act right. Um, And what does that say about the low professional level of of our police? And I'm not talking about all individual officers. So they're police listening. You know, I, I'm not talking about you unless you're getting angry. And then maybe I am talking about you, you know? So, yeah. Well, it's interesting because there was a lot of officers that were involved in some of um, the negotiations on all of these bills. And some of those, uh, you know, veteran officers who've been in the force for, you know, 30, 40 years, are ready for some of these bills to pass because it, you know, they don't like the reputation yeah. that it has been put out by these rogue officers. And now their profession, um, you know, is, is frowned upon. And, and they've, they've done the right thing their whole career. And so some of these officers are ready for some of these things to come in place because you know, if you do tell, then you get the scrutiny from um, the blue line for, for yeah. snitching. And yeah. then, you know, uh, and then also some of these things that the policies make it so hard to where, you know, officers continuously have these um, strikes against them of misconduct, but then the policies are set so high where it's hard to remove that officer. Um, And so a lot of these bills that we've passed, um, we've worked with different organizations and uh, fraternal sheriffs and state patrol and walk off and all of the acronyms. Right, right. and you know there there was uh, a lot of opposition but then it was the state and the community um that wrote in and that um, wanted the changes to happen right well you all did a great job and uh, i know it's difficult um and uh somebody has to be able to reach across the aisle if you want to put it that way or into the blue line, maybe put it like that, uh, and work together to make change. And you mentioned tear gas, um, again, is one of those places where the police were saying, because they wanted to, because the bill uh, asked for there to be a ban on tear gas, and the police were saying that we need it for certain circumstances. If they were using the um, tear gas and other equipment the way it was supposed to be used, then no one would have been calling for them not to use it at all. Um, so again, the lack of professionalism and making it so that the community doesn't trust you um, is the reason that people call for the end of the use of tear gas.
going back to some of the points about the police accountability in the state law now, which is actually a pending uh, piece of legislation, as I understand it, mm -hmm. very important part of the of the uh, police reform uh, uh, package. Um, but it's interesting you say that some of these older professionals, guys have been around 20 to 30, 40 years, say, well, they welcome this sort of thing. But on the other hand, you know, uh, current law with just civil law says that if, as a policeman or actually a citizen, for that matter, sees somebody doing something illegal, they're supposed to do something to intervene as much as they can. And certainly as a peace officer, do something about it. We've got, a, we've got of course, that's really on the big stage now with the... Uh, uh, Floyd's trial, where those three other cops are mm -hmm. tried. Uh, I think they're—I I don't know if they—if they reach any verdict about them, but no. they all will probably probably get some manslaughter or close to it charges against them. They sat around and did nothing while he went and murdered that kid. That kid. Yeah. Well, we're getting close to uh, time to wrap it up. Um, I did want to ask you, Sonia, what do you think about the? fact that we have six police officers um, from Seattle Police Department attend the, the rally, the January 6th rally that turned into a riot basically an attempted coup in Washington, DC? Um, I think it's alarming because <clears throat> although they have a right to their own uh, politics, but when, when you cross the line and um, breach national security, um, that's concerning. Uh, but particularly because, you know, white supremacy runs deep in uh, the policing systems. And um, if, if that's the type of uh, officers that we have uh, policing black and brown communities. Um, we definitely cannot trust um, those officers yeah. and many more. And for, um, you know, certain individuals to allow that type of behavior, um, it basically encourages the officers to uh, continue to act above the law. Mm -hmm. Well, following up on that, uh, Sonia, the uh -huh. is there anything as current legislation that provides for uh, vetting, more serious vetting of police officers? Do they hold extremist right-wing points of view, which if they do, they shouldn't be police officers? Yes. Um, so I think that they're going to do a more... Um, extreme search background check and uh, make sure that they're not part of, um, well, any, any uh, <laughs> of these groups and or, uh, you know, if there's um, certain, um, I would say social media, um, they, they, the vesting will be pretty intense as far as background checks and social media checks and uh, also uh, criminal history checks and any as much and much more intense than it currently is. That's good. Yeah. Well, thank you very much again for taking out the time to spend with us. 
Um, you know, I mentioned in the email to you as veterans, we know a little bit about trauma. And I have met a number of parents who have lost their children to violence. Some of them like yourself, police violence, others um, to war. Um, and I've met them so-called enemy like Iraqis who lost their children, Palestinians who have lost their children. And of course, Americans who have lost their children. And one thing I want people to understand that the pain is the same. I've not met a parent who whose pain wasn't the extreme pain that it is. And I don't think there's any pain more painful than it without having felt it myself. So I really appreciate your activism. Um, it's beautiful that you're able to do that. Um, and um, I just honor you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so Sonia. Much for I, I know this, here. Yeah. I know it's not easy. I, I appreciate your speaking up and I appreciate your courage. You're you're a great example to all of us. Thanks yeah. again. Yeah. Thank you. righty. Um we'll we'll be talking. Okay. Well that's it for this month. But before we go, let me give credit where credit is due. The theme music is untouchable, and the transition music to the interview is Spanish Winter, both by The Passion Hi-Fi. You can find his music at thepassionhi-fi.com. Thanks again to our guest, Sonia Joseph, to talk about police accountability. Her son, Giovanni Joseph McDade, was killed by police in 2017. Please Google Giovanni's story. I think you will find the obvious injustice and lack of police accountability disgusting. You need to read several articles so you can really understand what happened and how things were covered up by the police. There is much more work to do to ensure fair and good policing. Please speak out and help create safe communities. We all need your help. The activists need your help. The community need your help. And the police need your help. I really do believe most police want to do good, although I'm not sure why more of them aren't speaking up. I guess maybe they're afraid. It's going to take a community effort, and we're all part of the community so we can make it happen. We really appreciate Sonia taking time to talk to us. We are honored she appeared on our show, and we are all blessed that she took her pain as a mother who's lost her son, especially to police violence, and turned it into activism because it can help make our society better. And that makes us all better. And of course, thanks to my co-host, Mike Dietrich. Remember the show airs and streams every fourth Wednesday of the month, 6 to 7 p.m. on KODX 96.9 FM Seattle. And you can find that at kodxseattle.org. Thank you all out there for listening. Tune in next month. And until next time, power to the people, power to the peaceful. Thank you.